Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, the ATP Finals is over. Uh, Catherine Whitaker is free of fake hair and fake eyelashes and wearing normal clothes. Catherine, how are you doing? You right? Yeah, I, I'm all right. That's a very polite way of saying I look rough again. <laughs> <laughs> no, natural. Na- n- normal. Uh, back at home. No longer in front of a TV camera presenting for Amazon Prime Video. Uh, but it was, a, it was a brilliant week. And uh, yeah, we're now... Back talking about tennis of the future and specifically looking ahead to the Australian Open. No Matt at the moment. However, we are joined by a special guest. We've got John Millman with us. Hello, John. Hi, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's good to tune in from, from down under here in Australia. Yeah, well, I mean, it's more important than ever really to speak to you. I and mean, we spoke to you earlier in the year. But you are, I don't know how to say this, but you're kind of our guinea pig for what happens when somebody goes to Australia because you are not at home. Where are you right now? No, so I, uh, my last tournament was in, in Sofia in, in Bulgaria and I did the journey home to, to Australia. I couldn't get a flight into Brisbane, which is where I'm from. So I am currently in Sydney doing my 14-day government-mandated hotel quarantine. So it was quite an experience. You got picked up from from the airport by, by the army actually. And you got carted off in, in buses, four different buses went to four different locations. And, and my location ended up at the, at the Sofitel here in, in the Sydney CBD. So uh, day 10 and 14, it hasn't been a pleasant experience. Uh, and one that's probably not conducive to, uh, to playing tennis straight away after I would say. So I know that tennis Australia and the Australian open team have got, a lot on their plate um, uh, with the current conditions. Mm. You say it's not been a great experience. I mean, how, how are you feeling at the moment and how have you felt day to day? Oh, I'm feeling like I, I wouldn't be able to play tennis. Uh, but, it, well, look, it's, 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 it's solitary confinement um, as far as hotel stays go. We're, we're used to it a little bit. At the US Open, you'd fly in and, and we had to do one day in the hotel and that was – uh, in in your hotel room while you're waiting for your test results, and that kind of became the norm for the last four months at all the ho- at all the tournaments we played at. But but here it's a solid 14 day stint. Uh, 
we had testing on day two and day 10. So I had my second lot of testing today and, and you're combined to the room. There's no windows that open and um, you've just got to make do. So it's been, it's been a long uh, trip. You struggle to, to fill in the days and, and like anything, when you're, when you're locked away, you start to feel pretty lethargic and, um, and you're starting to tear your hair out. I'm a fidgety person at the best of times. You know, I want to, I can't say sit still, uh, but I've got no choice right now. Presumably, John, you, you weren't expecting a pleasant experience. Has it been, has it been worse, different to, to what you expected? Uh, look, I'd probably say it's, it's slightly worse. I think, I think, um, my excitement factor of getting home to Australia probably, uh, outdid, uh, just it, uh, exactly what I was going to be facing. It's always, after you've gone away for, for quite a long trip, um, you always get so excited to, to return home, you know, that, that last tournament, normally it's in Bercy for me, but, but this time it was in Sofia and that last, that last tournament's, um, uh, you, you're excited to, to get back home. And this trip especially, look, I've been on longer trips before, but this trip especially has felt extremely long due to the fact that uh, this biosecurity bubble slash tennis court quarantine process that we've been doing for the last kind of four months has made the the trip really mentally draining. Mentally, it, it, it's felt like a really long one. So I was super excited to, to get back home, get on that, that plane. Unfortunately, you're welcome to this 14-day hotel quarantine, but not long to go now. Did you ever consider not making the trip? Because some, some of your compatriots haven't. 100%. Look, that was uh, something that I'd planned potentially to do. I was... Uh, well, my girlfriend's from Germany, so I was going to spend a little bit of time there, but but also maybe get over to Alicante and do some training with Alex Dimonor, who's that's where he's based out of. But that that was when the original plan was that the Australian Open was going to the bubble was going to open on on about the December the sixth, December the seventh. That was what um, was originally touted, and um, that would actually work in well with my European visa. You know, I'm only allowed ninety days out of every one hundred and eighty, but when the bubble started getting pushed back, my first of all, my, my days started running out with, with my visa. And, um, and second of all, uh, it started to mean that I was going to be spending almost all of, all of the month of December not being able to get back to Brisbane. Then I heard that it was all going to be moved to, to, to one state potentially. And I just thought going into the Australian Open, I really needed to, to get back to Brisbane, back home, just rejuvenate a little bit with, with your friends and family. Uh, that can really help your, your mental psyche just a little bit. So, uh, and is often underestimated. So when that bubble started to get pushed back and when it looked like uh, there was going to be no events uh, up in Brisbane and I wouldn't be able to go back home, um, I thought it would be best to, to get on a flight and, and, yeah, unfortunately stick out this 14-day hotel quarantine. And you mentioned that it's difficult to fill the days. What what has a typical day been like over the last ten? Well, I wake up hopefully, and I, I've been doing that, which is good. But uh, I have got an exercise bike, and I've got a couple of weight plates uh, here, kind of uh, in, in the room, jammed in the room. And I'm no uh, Tour de France rider. There's only so much I can do on the exercise bike, and um, I have been you know, just, just watching movies while, while I do a session on the bike or, 
uh, trying to do a little bit of a gym process. So, so that fills in a few hours of the day. Then there's uh, some crosswords that I'm doing. I'm playing cards because my, uh, my partner, my missus is, is here with me. So we're playing some cards um, and, and a bit of t- television watching, but really there's, there's not a whole lot. I wish I could be a bit more productive, but um, yeah, I'd be lying if I was saying that I was being a whole lot more productive. Yeah, because I mean, you said you, the, the uh, we've seen the videos that you've posted and the pictures you've posted on Instagram, which gives it a kind of an idea, a little diary of of what life is like for you there. And and I saw people were there were there was a band downstairs, wasn't yes. there? And people were on the balconies, but you don't have a balcony. We, we don't have the balcony, no. And and look, the 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 Sofitel here in Sydney have been doing as good a job as they can to to make do of a pretty tough situation like you touched on yesterday, they, they had the band there from, from six to eight, which was awesome. Just a, a little bit of live music. Um, we had some wine tasting today, which was, which was really interesting via zoom. So I think it these conditions have, um, you know, have, have created the, the need for, for people to be a bit more creative as to how we can get through, through these, these tough times. And, um, Look, the Sofitel Sydney, they have really tried to, to do as best as they can. It's a pretty tough s- circumstance, though. It's a tough situation and um, one that I'm not really wanting to, to do again. If I can plan around not doing this again, perhaps I, I, I won't be coming back for Christmas next time. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're certainly hoping that vaccines etc kick in and obviously things have, have worked very well in the in terms of dampening down the virus in in melbourne although it's been obviously a really tough period hasn't it over the last uh three or four months uh in, in australia um so hopefully you won't have to but i mean the trip itself that you took you you had some some great success didn't you i mean you, you won your first title does does that feel now worth it and that's the big question because prior to, to going away on this on this trip, there was a lot of apprehension in, in the decision-making process, especially here in Australia where we've taken such a stern measures on, on COVID-19 and, and how we dealt with it and, and what we've seen in the media too of, of you know, there's been a 20 cases in, in South Australia and, and they shut down the, the state. So, so prior to going away, um, you know, I had it in my head that, it was a really dangerous prospect and, and I was really unsure as to, as to whether I wanted to take on that risk. But in the end of the day, I needed to, to make some money and I needed to get back to work. And, and um, I, I really wanted to, to, to get back out there and competing because I, I, I genuinely do really enjoy it. So I did decide to do the trip um, and it was challenging. Like I touched on uh, during the, it was mentally draining, not being able to get outside of a, of a, bubble that consisted of just courts and the hotel that's one of the beauties of being able to play tennis um, and and do what we do is to be able to experience the different cultures and and don't forget about that little uh, mental release that you get when you leave your hotel and, and go down the road for a walk and, and a coffee and and grab a, a bite bite to eat at the local uh, cafe um, wherever you are in the world you couldn't do that this time so it was um it was draining um but in the end, I was really glad with the decision. And I think all the players and the tournaments and all the organizers should give themselves a real big pat on the back for, 
for really getting out there, playing tennis and, and making an effort to, to return to the, the game and, and get a product out there again. It was, um, I thought the players did a, did a really good job after early on, you know, when, when COVID had hit, maybe a couple of players had made some, not some of the, not, not some of the best decisions. I got to say once, once the tournament started, I thought the players really, um, you know, were really responsible and, and um, kept it all about the tennis. And I thought that was awesome. And, and uh, we got a product back out there. And I think that's really important looking back and, and reflecting on that. But for me personally, it was, uh, it was a good trip. Um, I obviously got to win my first title in, in Kazakhstan, which I want to say was an unbelievably run tournament. Um, all credit to them. Uh, I, I would say, I'm not just saying that because I won the event, but I think anyone who, who went there had similar sentiments. It was uh, an incredible job. Considering it was a pop-up tournament, they had about six weeks' notice. It was incredible. And um, obviously, it's going to be very special uh, for, for me. I'm, I'm going to remember it fondly for, for being my first ATP Tour title and, 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 um, and, and just a really special experience. During a, a pretty tough year, it was, uh, it was nice to have a, a bit of a shining light there. Was it a coincidence, John, the timing of that first tour title or, or was the price you had to pay for, for being there and competing? Was that a, a factor? I mean, you don't seem like someone that ever struggles for motivation, but was it an extra, you know, fire in your belly? Yeah, look, it was, I felt as if it was a long time coming to, to potentially win one of these. I'd been in a couple of finals before and, and when my rankings been at consistently, I feel like I'm, I've been consistently putting myself in, in in positions to to be exposed at this level and to to have the potential chance to win one of these things. But I think it's quite kind of fitting when you see my career a little bit, and um, it it hasn't always been smooth sailing. There's there's been ups and downs, especially with injuries and and kind of um, the way I play can can sometimes uh, you know I try to bring a certain level of physicality, and sometimes it might not look too easy for me out there. Um, it's kind of fitting that I managed to, to, to have that breakthrough in such a difficult year that's been difficult for everybody. Um, so I, I look back that quite fondly, and, and it's funny that um, one of my greatest personal achievements on the court has come in, in one of the more memorable years. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it's a nice feeling that I managed to, to mentally tough it out and, um, and get through it because... Look, it's always challenging, I think, and, and, and I cop a little bit of criticism for saying this, but it's always challenging as an Australian. I know that we have a, a wealthy federation. I get reminded of that constantly. But to be a professional tennis player from Australia, um, you don't get to spend much time at home. When you lose a tournament, you're staying at that tournament and you're trying to work hard to, to get ready for the next one. You can't just duck off like you might be able to if you're, say, from Europe and you're doing the European indoor swing. So... Um, I do think that um, it, it's, it's can be sometimes a little more challenging when you're, you're so far away from home and uh, it's just nice to, to get your just rewards. I took on a bit of a risk to, to, to do such a long trip during this COVID time. And it was really nice to, to get the rewards with a, with a title. Has there been a, a moment in the last 10 days where you fleetingly thought oh, I would I would hand back my title for my freedom. Not a chance, not a chance. Um, 
look, if it means doing another 14 days, which oh, <laughs> would be so difficult um, to give back my time. No, I, I do. I do a year in here. Um, that was something that I really had identified over the last couple of years, really, that I, it was a box that I really wanted to tick to, to win one of these tour tiles. They're not easy to win. For some people they are, but for the majority of us, they're, they're quite challenging to win. And, and um, it's, it's given me a lot of, of satisfaction and also confidence going into 2021 because um, I, I definitely feel as if once you get that breakthrough, um, perhaps I, I can get a couple more titles. Given that, then do you do you think you'd be finding this quarantine even harder if you'd if you'd bombed out first round in every tournament on the trip? Uh, yeah, if the, yeah, if the trip had been a disaster, this would be you know rubbing salt into the wounds, like we say here. It would uh, uh, you you would feel like it, it wasn't quite worth it. But overall, the trip was was really positive. It was a it was a good experience, and and uh, I think it was. Uh, I think it was really satisfying just as a whole that we managed to get a product back out there. And, and it's not just the tennis players, but, but the tournaments and, and, and everyone whose who's work depends on, on, on tennis being out there. I think it's super important. And so when I reflect, that's nearly just as satisfying as winning the title. It's not quite, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to, <laughs> to be one of those people, but it is really satisfying that, that I was part of, of, of getting some type of product out there, like, like every other tennis player, I'm not, I'm not special by any means whatsoever. But um, I think that that can sometimes be underrated when we look back at, at the year 2020 and, and what tennis was. As things stand, John, reading this morning, uh, The Age and Sydney Morning Heralds here in the UK, it seems that plans are starting to become more concrete for the Australian Open finally it looks like it's going to be a one or more likely a two-week delay from what I'm reading uh, starting on February the 1st with what's reported as a a two-week quarantine at the moment they're describing it as a two-week quarantine like you're experiencing where you have to get that out of the way before you can go practice or compete in any tournaments at all what have you heard and if that is the case how are players going to get on? Yeah, first of all, it's it's been challenging. I think um, it, Craig Tiley and 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 the team there at Tennis Australia and the Australian Open do an incredible job year in year out, and I think this has been so challenging for them because uh, the goalposts have been moved so many times. I think from from, from the local health authorities there, um, but it does look like we're starting to to see some momentum now some plans are starting to to get in place as to how it's going to look originally i was hearing the similar similar things to yourself where they would have to do players would have to come in and do a 14 day hard lockdown like i'm doing right now and i've always been of the opinion if they had to do this and after living through it there's zero chance that the tournament goes ahead because i i just don't think that first of all it's conducive to um a player's health to come in, do 14 days confined to a room and then go out there and play a grand slam. I think that it's uh, you're at risk of injury, but, but you lose so much conditioning. I mean, this is going to take me a week or two just to start feeling the ball again when I get out of here. So I've always thought that if that was the case, it wouldn't exist. The grand slam would not exist, but I am starting to hear that there is, there has been some wiggle room lately 
And it looks as if whilst there might not be any competition in quarantine, like we have done at the US Open where we could, you know, there wasn't a mandated 14 day and we could compete once we flew in there. Um, it does look like there's going to be some biosecurity bubble where we'll be able to go and train and then go back to our hotel room. So um, if this is the case, and this is what I'm hearing is more likely, if this is the case, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that it'll go ahead. I think it'll be pushed back. I think we'll see the start date pushed back a week or two, if I'm to be completely honest. And, and whether that means we're going to be able to have one week um, of an ATP event, maybe week one elsewhere, I'm unsure, and then go into Australia. If not, we might not be seeing any lead-in events. It might be 14 days where we can train. Unfortunately, I don't see the Australian government allowing competition during that 14 days, but I do think we will be able to play, and I think maybe we might go straight into the Australian Open. Again, it's speculation, and we've seen the goalposts move so many times on this issue, but that's my gut feel right now. Hmm. What what do you think the reaction of players will be to that? What sort of turnout would you expect? I think if it's I think if it is that, I think we'll still get a very good turnout. Um, it's not ideal, but I do think players um, would be more receptive to the idea of the the fourteen day, um, uh, but being able to train throughout it. What I think would help is if there's actually tournaments after the Australian Open, maybe perhaps in Australia. Or, or close by because it is a tough trip to make where you come all the way to Australia only for, for, for one event, even it being a, a Grand Slam event. So I would like to see maybe a couple more tournaments added on. Unfortunately, I'm not sure what the implications are because that would affect the, the tour, both the WTA and the ATP in terms of the tournaments after the Australian Open. Normally we're heading to New York Open, which I don't think is going ahead, but um well, New York Open or, or Montpellier or the Golden Swing over in uh, South America. So I'm unsure as to as to um, how that's going to look. Uh, but ideally, I think that would be a great situation. Then we could come and, and play and, and, and get our bang for buck, so to speak, when, when coming and playing in Australia. But I do think that it's still going to, to have a pretty good turnout. I think Grand Slams are... are, are uh, something special. I think the players earmark them as, as something that's uh, that's a priority, regardless of of uh, whether there are multiple tournaments in and around them. But it's not ideal. But what is what what is during this uh, pandemic time? Yeah, very well put. Very well put. Uh, I mean, you're a, for us. You're a good person to talk to because you're going through it. You're a player. I also think it's it's interesting to get your view because you've recently joined the ATB Player Council. So you're getting more of a feel, I would imagine, for what other players feel and, and the decision-making that, that is occurring. It's It's been an interesting time, hasn't it, the last couple of months? The the PTPA has, has been developed. What is your view of that organisation, Professional Tennis Players Association, a union, effectively, that... Vasek Pospisil and Novak Djokovic have spearheaded. What What is your view of it? Yeah, it's an interesting time, isn't it? And and one that um, I think has still a bit to play. Um, right now, my understanding of the PTPA is that it's very much in its infant stages. Um, 
bylaws are still being being written, but I, I, I do understand that, that they are being written right now. So I think we'll get more of an indication as to what the PTPA is and, and what it stands for after the bylaws um, get written and whether there is maybe a little bit of, of crossover there with the ATP, which um, I've been told, well, well we've, hear, we've heard, everyone's heard the, the, the um, you know, the press releases from the PTPA that there won't be, but uh, until we see those bylaws, I'm not sure um, what will happen. But for, for myself personally, uh, you know, I, I didn't sign um, the PTPA. Um, my reason being is that uh, I, I do feel as if we can work with the tournaments and the players. I think it's, it's, it's a partnership there. I don't necessarily think that um, the players should have 100% of the say at the table because I think without the tournaments, you know, the players wouldn't exist and vice versa. The tournaments won't exist without the players either. And my second notion would be uh, Andre Gaudenzi, he's just got given the job in 2020. Um, he's been faced with the Australian Open bushfires. He's then been faced with a, with a global pandemic. And I feel as if we owe it as a group to, to allow him to, to get his vision across before um, we start to create some some big divide, I guess, between um, the ATP and and another uh, union or players association. So I think uh, it's it's within our best interest to to really let him uh, give him a bit of time to get that vision out there. And I don't think he's been given that just yet, due to the the circuit, the crazy twenty uh, twenty circumstances that that's been thrown in our direction. But Look, I think we'll know more about the PTPA and, and that's what I was kind of waiting. I was waiting to see more and, and to understand it more before I, I put my name down to anything. That's very interesting. Catherine, do you have anything else to, to add? I've got one more question for John, but uh, if you have anything else uh, before I pile in. I'm quite interested in what's it actually like being on the Players' Council, the sort of the, me- the mechanics of it, especially at a at a time like this are you kind of being undated with with queries are you are you a are you i I don't know yeah it's sort of day to day what does it what does it involve yeah look it's 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 been an interesting experience and and they've actually got some more re-elections coming up as you know so um and i've thrown my hat in the ring because I've, i've found the experience uh interesting i've always had a real interest um of how how, how tennis works, and and also I'll, I'll talk the the arm off uh, the leg off a chair. You know, I, I will. Um, I can talk to talk anything, and I really enjoy talking tennis. So, look, it's it's been an interesting experience. I I think it's um, it's it's definitely opened my eyes a little more to to the goings ons of the tournaments. I've always found it interesting because I've grown up playing in Brisbane, where the Brisbane International is, and and during my preseason a big rollout for this tournament comes and uh, for the Brisbane international and, and you start to really get a feel of, of just how much goes, goes on behind the scenes before the players rock up and, and you start hitting tennis balls, which is sometimes a, a bit of a misconception. I think that, that we as players have um, obviously being an Australian on, on the council. Uh, I think some people probably think that I'm more privy to information um, uh, because I, I'm ticking the Australian box and I'm ticking the player council box. And unfortunately for those people, uh, you know, we're hearing information at the same time, but the, the goalposts have changed so much then that that information that we're getting can be taken with a grain of salt sometimes. But 
um, it's definitely been an eye-opening experience, and it's and it's one that um, is is quite fascinating. And, and right now, it's probably uh, quite a tumultuous time to to be taking a a, a seat at the uh, on the player council, but um, you know, it creates a bit of excitement in your life. And you've got some pretty big names on that council alongside you, haven't you? What is it like to, I don't know, what, have you spent any time with them virtually at all on Zoom calls or, or, or chats? Yeah, look, the communication's actually pretty good um, within the player council. And we've had uh, Zoom calls, we've had, we've had chats, um, you know, a bit like now, but uh, it's, it's cool, you know. Obviously, some of the players have, a, and some of the big boys, um, you know, Roger and, and Andy and Rafa, they they really are passionate about the game, and and they really do, um, you know, enjoy um, talking about tennis and, and 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 talking about the governance and, and what we can be doing better. And and I, I really feel as if their hearts in it, which is incredible, considering you know just how much they've got going on in their lives. I can imagine. Um, so look, uh, to begin with, I reckon I was, um, probably a little bit quiet in the, especially probably in the first meeting, I didn't probably have too much to offer because you're still finding your feet and, and, um, probably let the big boys talk just a little bit more, but, um, they're very welcoming. Um, and I genuinely do believe that, the best interest that they're really after the best interests of, of the game. And, and that's where there's probably a bit of a sticking point when you, when you hear in the media, all the, all the divide amongst necessarily the players, PTPA, ATP, etc. cetera, um, trying not to speak out of turn there, but I, I really do feel as if that, that genuinely there's a real passion for the game and, and, and we want to continually see, uh, the the product of the ATP get better and better. You, you could end up being the players' quarantine spokesman because not, uh, not many at this stage have, yeah. have been through what you're going through. Yeah, and look, I really hope that the players don't have to do this because it is um, a really challenging process, one that uh, I'm not going to do again. I've decided I'm not doing it again. So uh, if if I had to... Yeah, if if the vaccine didn't get out there and and um, there was this two week hotel quarantine again, then uh, unfortunately I'll be spending Christmas elsewhere. Uh, I don't have regrets doing it this time, but now that I've I've lived it and, and done it, I, I I wouldn't be doing the hotel quarantine again. It's a it's a brutal um, experience. Well, that's a really interesting insight, John. I think it's an important one. You know, there's no point sugarcoating what this is like for people. And I've seen a few of your of people within tennis, not players as just alone, although I followed Daria Gavrilova's experience, but I've seen Darren Cahill go through it and um, and uh, Barbara Shett recently has, has been going through it. And, it, and it's, you know, it's it's something that I think we can think about and not think is that big a deal until you actually have to go through it and be in that solitary confinement. And, and Barbara, actually, I was very um, jealous of Barbara. She heralds, obviously when she's back in, in Australia, she's actually from Queensland at the sunshine beach there with um, her husband, Joshy Eagle, who, who grew up around there. And I was so jealous of, of Babs because she, uh, she got a, she got to fly into Brisbane. So she got a hotel in Queensland. I, I'm pretty sure it's Queensland's the only state that, 
let their people out for half an hour a day. Um, so she was going to the rooftop, I'm pretty sure, where there's a rooftop pool there. And um, along with the other quarantined uh, guests, they were allowed half an hour a day outside and, and getting a bit of fresh air. But um, that's not afforded here in New South Wales. They do things differently here. So I was super jealous when I saw her um, half hour of sunshine because we have not had uh, a lick of fresh air for 10 days now. Wow. You, you can't open your window. Did I hear you say that? Is that right? There's there's no windows that open here. No. So it's, um, yeah, recycled there the whole time. And um, being a someone that's from Australia, but Queensland especially, we're, we're very much an outdoorsy folk. Um, we spend all our childhood outside and, and being, and, and then to, to top it off, I've come from the indoor swing um, in Europe where we've been confined to hotel and courts. We didn't get outside then. So uh, I don't know what the sun is. I heard it's pretty hot in Queensland though. So it's going to take me a while just to, just to, to realize what the yellow thing up is in the sky. It's been, it's been really challenging. I think that's been the toughest thing. If I'd had a little balcony or, or just the ability to, to open up the windows. I actually think that, um, it'd shave off a few days mentally, but, um, no, I'm doing the full, you know, if you're going to do something, do it properly. So I'm just really <laughs> testing out my, my mental capabilities, um, um, for this full 14 days, you know, I wanted to, to do it tough. Well, you sure have. Um, <laughs> what, what, what are you most looking forward to once this is over? I mean, you've got four days to go, Obviously, you've you've got to get out and go somewhere. Where are you going to go, and what is, what have you been dreaming of that you can't do? Well, that was an ordeal in itself, you know. Um, actually, being able to get get out because the Queensland and New South Wales border was was still shut. It actually opened. I, I got news two days ago that it opened up. On, on it's going to open up on the first of December, um, but New South Wales was still considered a hot spot. Um, it, it, Sydney was still considered a hotspot. They haven't had a positive uh, uh, case in, in 30 days, I think, but it was still considered um, a hotspot. So uh, I have to, I had to go through the whole process of, first of all, trying to get an exemption to get out half an hour early out of the quarantine because the only flight I could get is at 5.05. There's no other later flight that's flying to Queensland on the 30th. Um, and my time slot to go out was at 4 o'clock in between 4 and 6. So first of all, I had to get a half-hour exemption, so I had to apply for the New South Wales Health for that online, filling out all these documents, sending in documents. Um, so I did get approval of that after my, my second attempt, which was um, really nice. And then I had to get approval from, from the Queensland um, Health to, um, so I didn't have to re-quarantine because that, that was um, something that could potentially happen because the borders are closed. I'd do the two weeks here and then I'd have to do another two weeks in, in Queensland because, um, yeah, because uh, the borders had, had been shut, which is not, not something I, I wanted to do at all. But I, I did get exemptions there again on, on the second attempt there. So that was an ordeal in itself. But when I do get home now, um, one of the things I really miss when I travel is, is Australia's cafe culture. I love going out for breakfast. It's an institution. You know, we have lots of cafes that um, that do, you know, breakfast is, is a, a religion in, in Australia and uh, getting in myself a, a flat white with, you know, a bit of avocado on, on sourdough with some poached eggs and, and halloumi on the side is, is something that um, I can taste already. 
<laughs> what a lovely thought. That's uh, that'll sustain you, and uh, you've only got a few days to go. Fi- final thing, John. Um, because of the year we've had, we we invented a, a series of shows called Tennis Relived, where we were looking back on great moments from the slams, and we did daily shows during what would have been Roland Garros and Wimbledon back in May and June. And we're going to do some of them ahead of the Australian Open, I think particularly now that we're likely to have a delay of a week or two. If you If you were to pick a moment from the Australian Open that you've seen, from your childhood, from your growing up, from being a tennis player, whatever you've seen, what what memory would you want to relive and hear about? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really tough one, isn't it? Because there's been so many good memories, but um, one that sticks out in my mind, and it's actually it'll sound um, a, a little a little stupid, but it has um, significance to myself. Um, because we've seen some epic matches. We've seen some epic five-set matches. In, uh, I'm speaking on the men's side, obviously, and the women, we've seen some great ones too. But we've seen some epic five-set grueling matches at the Australian Open. But um, one of one of the, the first times I was at the Australian Open and that I got to see live was actually when Roger Federer um, went, and, uh, went and won. Uh, uh, it would have been in 2007 was the year I, I'd just finished school and and he played uh, Andy Roddick in the semifinals and, uh, you know, you'd, I'd watched Roger on TV and, and he was at the top of his game. But Andy Roddick had, had won Kuyong, the, the, the lead in there. I think he beat Roger on the way. And, and I remember Andy saying something along the lines of, you know, he just felt pretty confident in his game and he thought he was closing that gap a little bit. I think he, he might have even beat Roger in the World Tour Finals the year before at the end of the year and he was closing that gap a little bit. Now, I managed to score tickets. It was the first time I'd, I'd been inside Rod Laver Arena watching watching a match. And, you know, I was just up in the bleachers and I managed to score tickets to to watch this match between Roger Federer and, and Andy Roddick. And that, that gap was apparently closing and... I think it's something, it's pretty special when you get to see um, one of the greatest ever playing uh, at the top of his game. And, and um, I thought the, the way he dismantled Andy Roddick that day was, um, was, was witnessing a, an absolute uh, genius at the top of his game. And um, that one sticks to mind. I know it wasn't an epic match by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's really special to be able to to watch uh, some of the world's best play at their absolute best. And I've managed to see it with Roger. I actually was managing to, to call a match on, on, uh, on radio when um, Novak Djokovic went and dismantled uh, David Ferrer. I was courtside calling it on, on radio. It was at the Australian Open and, and it was insane to watch him play. And you could tell he was feeling it. And when you see these best guys play their best tennis, I, I find that. Um, pretty special so I was lucky enough to be there for that one and and that's what I'm going to choose I know it sounds uh, you know it's pretty basic it's not one of the epics but it was pretty special to watch to be there live um, my first match at, at Rod Laver Arena watching it and, and watching one of the the greats um, play some of his great tennis was uh, was was something I'll always remember there are no there are no wrong suggestions, John. David basically only picks Pete Sampras matches from the nineties. So. <laughs> Correct. I wasn't old enough to, uh, to to go and watch Pete Sampras live at the Australian Open. You know, um, 
I wasn't from Melbourne, so I couldn't. Um, I was from Queensland, and I didn't get to see him live. But yeah, I would have loved to have watched uh, some, some of Sam Press and and that, that era. I loved, you know, I loved Agassi and I loved Sam Press, and yeah, other special. Tune into Tennis John. Relived, and David will recreate the experience for you of of being in the nineties. Oh, yeah, I will. Uh, I'm a I'm a tennis fan. I'm a fan of tennis, so um, I will. I'll, I'll go back and listen to them. Well, we will certainly be reliving, I think, that Roger Federer-Andy Roddick match in some way or another. I mean, I, I always remember Roddick was coached by Jimmy Connors at the time, and the first question to Andy Roddick in the press conference afterwards was, what did Jimmy say to you about that? And Andy, just looking chastened, said, he just gave me a beer. <laughs> and it's, it was it was one of those but it was one of those you can understand that that reaction you know from the coach's box because um it was just uh, it was it was a dismantling but it was it was it was pure genius from from Roger and it was him at the the top of his game and maybe he he gets that moment a little bit more but every now and again uh, you know once or twice a year you walk on the court and and everything feels unbelievable. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. It just comes out the middle. Your timing's incredible. And, and you just know you're having one of those days. And probably Roger and, and some of our greats, Rafa and, and Novak, they probably experience that a little bit more often. But I, I can tell you as a tennis player, it's one of the greatest things. And it just looked like he was having one of those days where, you know, from, from nearly the first point after he kind of feel, felt that one out, um, you could feel, you could tell that he was having one of those days, and, and we we're about to witness some some pretty special tennis. We sure did. We sure did. Well, John, I very much hope the next four days go as painlessly as possible for you and and your girlfriend, and you're out, and you can enjoy your magnificent breakfast, and that that ball <laughs> comes out of your racket out of the middle when it matters most over the Australian summer. It's really been lovely to have you on. Thank mm. you. Thanks, John. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. 
Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Well, Catherine, that was really quite something, wasn't it, to hear from John and to hear... I don't know, I, I don't know why, but I didn't expect it to be quite as jarring to listen to as that just how difficult this period of time has been I mean I'm sure it would be difficult for me but for some reason because it was John Milburn Mr Positive and I know I'm, I'm a fine one to talk but he all, he never seems to have a bad day does he and he's a human being it's it just it brings it home to me a bit more really yeah absolutely I wasn't expecting him to to put a spin on anything you know he's a he's a he's a straight straight as an arrow salt of the earth kind of guy I just expected him to to be focusing on the positives as as sports people do and I suppose in some regards he was doing that you know he's got no regrets about the the trip or anything he's obviously completely delighted with that with that title in um in Astana which I want to shout even though it wasn't Astana that had the exclamation marks but it's a bit like a Strava and it happened at the same time. So I want to say Astana. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so it, it, it took me aback a little bit how, how Frankie was about the whole, about the whole experience. And, and let's remember, he, he's not alone in that hotel room. He's got his girlfriend with him. I cannot imagine uh, that experience alone. Um uh, it really it, it knocked the wind out of me a bit actually hearing that he didn't have a window that would open i know darren cahill on twitter mentioned that he was in that situation in his lockdown but i just i just assumed that a tennis player with their <laughs> with their power and resources somehow would be able to make sure they they had fresh air if not a balcony so that that really knocked me for six a bit actually imagining that and uh, it it made me think about something Tim Henman was saying throughout last week which is a very sort of boring tennis player-y thing to say in interviews which is process not outcome that's what they are that's the outlook they're trained to have on their on their life and their career don't think about the outcome and what's at the end of the process just focus on the now and the process well that kind of stitches you right up in a quarantine scenario doesn't it where all you want to want to be doing is focusing on the freedom and the outcome at the end and not on the absolutely um i mean what are even the words for it the the mind-numbing depression and anxiety inducing process um so so maybe actually sports sports people even though they're good at focusing on the positives and all those cliches, maybe they aren't actually best placed to to cope with anything like that. But I'm I'm not sure who would be, frankly, mm. who who yeah. who would be well placed to cope with that. Mm. Certainly concentrates minds in the short term, though, as regards to the Australian Open, and let's hope that the 
Tennis Australia team are able to get the answers they want because that sounds like it is not a going concern if they can't. And, you know, John Millman was very, very clear in regard to the fact that two weeks of that, what he's had without any chance to get out and practice is just not going to work. Um, well, so, well, can either of you see see Roger Federer doing that, Rafael Nadal doing that? Mm. I mean, I sort of would like to see it. Mm. Put pop some cameras in, create a Big Brother yeah. style situation. You might notice Catherine <laughs> saying either of you. That's because Matt Roberts has joined us. Hello, Matt. Hello. I've I've replaced John Millman. Do I need to <laughs> do I need to start my sentences with "Look, mate." <laughs> you are actually occupying the place on my screen where John John Millman recently was. <laughs> yeah. In fact, yeah, your room looks much nicer. I've got to say that. And, yeah, the air looks fresher. I, I think once we've yeah. done this podcast, I will be allowed out of it. So <laughs> another difference. Mm. What did you think of all that? Well, it made me even more pleased than I was that he'd got that title uh, because I, I felt pleased for him at the time. But knowing now that it really did make that trip worthwhile and is kind of sustaining him a little bit through this 14-day period um, is is something. And it also made me think about what we talk about in tennis generally in, in terms of where you come from having quite a big impact on your career. And, you know, that, that commitment he made to go over and do these three or four months of tennis, you know, that was a big commitment anyway, given the travel in this weird time. When you then consider what he was saying about not having any kind of hub in Europe, not being able to pop home like some players could, literally going from hotel to hotel, and then having this price to pay afterwards of these 14 days quarantining and all the stresses of the borders potentially closing between states and all the sort of admin and paperwork involved in that just just sort of added to my sense that, you know, some players have, have experienced this harder than others I suppose and it's been difficult for everyone but you know not everyone is on an equal equal footing even even in these times and uh yeah so and some very interesting things I I had the same impression you had about maybe I was expecting him to gloss over how hard it was but you know he used the word brutal and he wouldn't wish it on anyone and all those kind of phrases it's clearly clearly been very difficult um and then just that insight on how Australia is treating the virus so differently to what we're experiencing, I found fascinating just and refreshing, actually. Um, you know, a hot spot, even though there's been no cases for 30 days, stuff like that is kind of kind of extraordinary to hear. You know, they've, they've been one of the countries that have led the way, really, and um, they're not going to let tennis disrupt that, and, and nor should they. And, and we've, had the, we've had the news... Today in New Zealand, which has had a very similar policy to to Australia in terms of locking down and quarantining and preventing international travel, they um, they did issue sparsely some some sports waivers, in particular for the Pakistan cricket team to to come and tour the country for an international series. Um, that was something actually that that we talked about a little um, on the ATP finals coverage last week because Michael Venus, the um, New Zealand doubles player, was very outspoken um, about that 
because he didn't think it was fair that that some sports were receiving uh, waivers for for players and others weren't. And he he was in a, a whirlwind of uncertainty last week. And by playing the O2, um, he was potentially jeopardising his ability to to get home for for Christmas. But those those waivers were issued not to Michael Venus but to the Pakistan cricket team. And now six six members of the playing team, I believe, so far have tested positive. Um, and if you put that into context of, you know, John Millman telling us that Sydney is considered a hotspot, etc., that is a really, really big deal. And um, I don't think the Australian or the Victorian government probably needed anything to to harden their stance or to make them feel more assured in their stance. But that sort of news and that development is certainly going to make them I think less inclined to soften their stance as as Tennis Australia clearly want them to mm. yeah we will follow the story and bring updates to you in each of our shows we've got lots more podcasts planned over the next few weeks and whenever we have news we'll we'll bring it to you and if there's something of great significance then we'll do an extra show as well because <laughs> not like I need an excuse <laughs> is it um, we did have a, one other bit of news yesterday with Madrid announcing itself as a two-week tournament, um, which, in all honesty, when we drilled down into the detail, seemed to actually add one day onto the men's main draw event and I think three days onto the women's uh, main draw event to become a 10-day event. So it didn't really feel as though it was that enormous an announcement to me. But um, still, that's... uh, that's what they've said that they're planning to do. And, and we're, we're kind of waiting, aren't we, to see what the knock-on effects are going to be. More generally, John Wertheim was reporting yesterday that he had heard, and I don't know how firm this was, but he'd heard that Indian Wells, for instance, wants a guarantee of being allowed to have 25% fans in the stadium in order to run that tournament. Um so there's a lot of unknown. And, and if, who would if that guarantee them, be from? The the governor of from, California? Yes, right. exactly. And if, if we consider, first of all, that the governor of California, I it, mean, they basically told them to cancel the event after one case, didn't they? It, it's the not day. Arnold Schwarzenegger anymore. Is that correct? <laughs> no, I think that's correct. Yeah. It's not the Terminator <laughs> in charge no. of no. <laughs> whether or not Indian Wells happens. Okay. No. Um, but I mean, if you consider that the next tournaments that we're going to have are going to be those Australian Open prelims, if they happen, I mean, the, and that's not even known. There's just a lot of uncertainty right now, and the tours are going to have to be flexible to make this work. I'm sure they will. I mean, they're, they're, there's a lot of good people who work in this, and but there, there's still a lot of uncertainty ahead. It does. These decisions, though, these announcements do make you wonder how much power the tours have because you know it it does feel increasingly like it's a land grab doesn't it that land land Mm. grabs are possible i know the french open kind of opened the floodgates for this but you know that announcement from madrid yesterday wasn't made in conjunction with the atp it did have steve simon quotes in it right it did have steve simon quotes in it um so but how much the hand has been forced there, mm. I don't know. I mean, he, he, his quotes were in there lauding it as this great thing. But like I say, when you actually look at the detail, it didn't seem that much different to me mm. um, well, the, to what it already is. Well, then, weren't you saying, David, that that is 
kind of part of Gaudenzi's plan in terms of wanting to extend the thousand events, combine them and make them slightly longer mm. events. Yeah, when you read his sort of plan to kind of, he wants to pull digital rights, pull media, TV rights, and be able to sell them in a much more joined up fashion, uh, and including the strength of the women's circuit and have more combined events or at least make more of the combined events and lengthen them. So it definitely fits in with his strategy more generally. Um, but I think that strategy was drawn up initially pre-pandemic. I think in in many ways his hand, stance seems to have hardened since then because of realising, and that's why we ended up with all the talk of maybe we should merge, you know, and all that sort of thing. Now, he hasn't said that. Um, but he certainly moved moved those two tours in his thinking. It seems a lot, lot closer together. It does feel a little bit like you can just announce yourself as something hmm. and the world has to accept it. We are, well, we the, are the, the PTPA. We are now a two-week yeah. event. We are now in October. <laughs> well, I, well, I am, I am Taylor Swift, folks. <laughs> Deal with it. She's got the jump. I'm an Olympic gold week. medal winner. She bought the cardigan yesterday. Was it the folklore cardigan? I actually bought the cardigan two months ago, David, and I've waited for it on back order due to high demand. Right. Mm. It was well worth the wait. (laughs) And I mean, especially given that it worked for Roland Garros. Mm, Exactly. That's, I mean... If if they hadn't made that incredibly selfish decision, they probably wouldn't have happened. it, It kind of becomes a philosophical discussion do the ends justify the means i i actually Mm. think it's a lot healthier if the slams are in conversations with the tours and it's an open discussion and they're all trying to work out what's best for everyone but the french open would point to the fact that it happened this year safely to the fact that it was the right decision to be made so it does it did kind of set a precedent there for a other events with the power to follow i suppose just decide what you want to be both of you and well make I, it so <laughs> make an announcement wanna, and it is so <laughs> i want to be a tennis podcaster how about that <laughs> uh, actually when <laughs> when you look at the way the ptpa happened it i'm it feels like there's a bit of that in there really we're going to set this thing up whether you like it or not, and we reckon that will make it happen eventually. Uh, and very interesting to hear John Millman on it. Mm. Um, clearly not 100% convinced. I'm waiting to see, but and I think a, there are a lot of players in that sort of position. Um, one of which is Andy Murray, of course, who is one of John Millman's fellow player council members. And he said the same, didn't he? He said, I'm not going to sign the PTPA. I'm not going to go in that photo. I don't think it's without merit entirely. I think there are good points that are being made about it, but I I want to give this regime a chance, Um, meaning Andrea Gaudenzi, um, Massimo Calvelli, who are at the top of the ATP, and see what happens with them. Um, And and I mean, I know Andy Roddick, for instance, who was a a big... sort of trailblazer in terms of pushing the last one of these attempts to get more player power 10 or so years ago felt that this is just the wrong time for something like this you know this is this is he felt it was just sort of tone deaf is that is what he what he was saying on tennis channel um but andy murray gave a a a big interview to some of the british media a, a couple of days ago and uh was speaking about various things including the fact that he 
he personally hopes that if vaccines are developed, that all players take them um, and seem to feel that they should be a requirement um, in what he said. Is that ethical? I mean, I know we're at the end of a podcast here, and I, that's an extraordinary, extraordinarily uh, broad question to be asking. Mm. But but when there is going to be a queue, and supply is going to be limited, and the most vulnerable are rightly going to be at the front of the queue, mm. will it be ethical for sports people to jump the queue? I well, mean, I, I certainly it, think a case can be made. I'm playing devil's yeah. advocate to an extent but my feeling would be about timings really when you bring in a rule like that if if you feel that is is there a sort of line in the sand that you say right from now on you only play if you've got a vaccine and maybe that line has to be drawn well, once it's sufficiently available if you're vaccinating sixty thousand people a day which is an, an ambitious target i believe that's what's being targeted by um, a lot of advanced countries, then you're still looking at a year to vaccinate the vulnerable, the people on the considered vulnerable. Hmm. So we'll see. That's another podcast, I, I like isn't a, it? I, t- I certainly take the point <laughs> about, philosophy. Whether, about whether it's ethical. He he also talked uh, about, he, he backed the idea of um, having independent investigations for tours, for allegations such as those made against Alexander Zverev recently. Um, and actually, he, he said that he feels that the tour could be more assertive in situations like that and actually act quicker and react quicker. Um, felt that they took too long in, in doing so, which is something we've discussed. Um, and he talks about his own physical fitness, um, Andy Murray. And, and he, he the, the quotes of Mats Valander from back at the US Open were put to him. Um, and kind of asked almost whether he has those up on his wall as motivation. And, and he said, you know, on a very short-term basis, uh, that sort of thing works. But actually, it was a, a moment that I saw, I think, his body fat index <laughs> that he saw and he wasn't happy with. And oh, he God, decided don't show that's... show him mine. <laughs> <laughs> that's got to change, he said. So, um, uh, And then um, back, at, uh, it just makes me remember... This time last year at the Davis Cup, where uh, Catherine made a suggestion about how he might lose some. Um, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, it, I mean, he still sounds as ambitious and motivated as ever, doesn't he? He, he said that he's hitting, he, he said he's hitting certain fitness targets at a, at a higher peak than he ever has done previously. Now, he, uh, he seems very aware of certain limitations um but i think that make is making him more determined to to maximize in the areas that he's not limited yeah. um i think speed was an area where he thought he was never yeah. going to reach the levels he's reached before but he was almost talking about it in terms of he can make that up in other mm. areas i found that very interesting because one of the things tim hemmard said in your prime video coverage catherine last week was he questions how useful strength is in terms of muscle mass and and that sort of thing, in terms of limiting your movement. Um, And Murray does seem to, well, he stresses strength as as one of the things, one of the indicators that he's been able to improve. So we don't, I mean, we don't, I don't know. I think it it really depends on your body type, doesn't it? I mean, 
not having any muscles is really working for Daniil Medvedev. <laughs> a cute lack of bicep. <laughs> a cute lack of um, but you know, Stan Wawrinka I mean, said, "Oh, I'm going to slim down and uh, to take the pressure off my knees or whatever." He would be a he would be a, a shell of the player, wouldn't he? I, I, I think it's different folks, different strokes. I remember both Mark Philippoussis and specifically Richard Krejcik doing exactly that, losing quite a lot of weight to try to extend their careers well, and think, take the pressure. But off I their think knees. Murray has already tried that, hasn't he? He has, mm. he has, he did go through a phase where he he lost a lot of weight, a lot of muscle mass from his upper body, I believe, to take the pressure off his his um, his hips and uh, and mm. other joints. Um, and so, I can only assume that you know he's paying a whole team of the most qualified possible people to assess and optimize his his prospects. So, yeah. He knows better than I do. I, you know, all of his optimism is caveated with if if I don't get further injuries. Yeah, and 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 he's clear, isn't he, that if I can avoid further injuries, yeah. I think the tennis is there. Yeah, yeah. and he, it's very clear he takes loads from that win over Zverev at uh, at the Western and Southern Open. We had an interview with him on Prime that was done just before the ATP finals where he referenced that a lot. And in fact, he he was asked about um, that win over Zverev and then the, the five-set win um, over, over Nishioka at the, at the US Open and then, and then the, the very disappointing loss to Felix Auger-Lessim. And, um, and he said... He actually talked about Sophia Kennan in the answer. He said, tennis is such a funny thing. He said, Sophia Kennan lost six love, six love to Victoria Azarenka and then reached the French Open final two weeks later. He said, you know, that everyone has terrible days and bad results and things can turn around very quickly and matchups are everything. And yeah, I think that he's choosing to focus on the fact that he beat the U.S. Open champion, the mm. U.S. Open finalist, two weeks before he became the U.S. Which Open finalist, I, and I also think he's not saying this in interviews, but I also really think that he thinks the standard required to be at the top of the game is going to come down. It, it perhaps already is slightly on the decline, um, and I, I think that gives him a bit of hope. Hmm. We'll see whether he has the necessary level in himself, I suppose, fitness permitting to be able to get up there with it. Anyway, that's all for the future. He's going to go and drive himself into the ground, no doubt, over the next few weeks to try to get himself as fit as he possibly can. That much you know, don't you? There will be no stone left unturned. But it's been really fascinating to hear from John Millman today. Uh, We will be back with another tennis podcast on Monday where... We are doing a couple of things. One is we're we're looking ahead to launching our crowdfunding Kickstarter the following day. Um, so we're, we're going to look back on our year, um, both the tennis year and our enjoyment of it. 
or experience of it <laughs> the highlights the low lights and everything in between um but no quite looking forward to doing that um so more tennis podcasts are coming your way uh Catherine's going to go and look at the little video she's just been sent of billy jean the dog yeah i think um, she's done her first little bark <laughs> or certainly oh. the first that's been captured on film magnificent Matt's going to go and edit this podcast. I'm going to go and make my kids dinner. And, uh, yeah, we will be back on Monday with another show. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.